Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. If you've got a mobile device, you can look it up on that. If you Bible in the pew, it's going to be on page 1226. And if you have a large print Bible in the pew, it's going to be page 1821. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All right. Well, we're back in this uh, series, Heaven on Earth, talking about a vision for the family. And, you know, a few, uh, this is also Heritage Sunday, and, and I was thinking about as we were preparing to talk about unity, some of the beginnings of our church tribe, or whatever you want to call us, our uh, movement, the Church of God. And a long time ago, oh, about man, late 19th century, um, for you people who aren't into history and don't, aren't used to talking about centuries, that's the late 1800s. And uh, so in those days, uh, there was a few Christians, a few believers in this country that looked around at the religious landscape in America and they said, wow, things are so divided by denominationalism. They looked around and they saw you know, Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and you know, the, the list went on and on. Uh, you know, Lutheran and Anglican and there's a long list of Catholic, all these church groups. And they all had their own creeds and their own doctrines. And they all had their things that they said were the thing. And in that day, much more so than today, uh, they didn't focus oftentimes on the essentials of our faith and on the gospel, but they focused on little things, uh, little distinctives that made them different from other people. And they argued about theology and, and they believed that other Christians weren't either weren't saved at all or weren't as saved as, as their group was, right? And so there was this group of Christians who looked around at this and said, what about the Bible? And what about Jesus? And what about, you know, if you call on His name and put your faith in Him and are living for Him, then aren't you a part of God's family? Aren't you a part of the Church of God, no matter who you are? And so they started this movement called the Church of God and people came out of denominationalism into this thing that we call now the Church of God. And, and so our roots are in unity. And in some ways, maybe we've lost that in some ways over the, over the course of time. And we're trying to get that back now in a lot of ways. And I give a lot of credit to our current leadership who's really striving to uh, you know, bring believers together. And we have a role in that right here in our community. And just the other day, in a small way, we served with Christ Church by going over to Bully Elementary and doing a prayer walk around that church Showing the unity of believers joining together to pray for 
children and families in our, in our community. Uh, we serve with other churches at Grace Place on a regular basis and things like that that we try to do to build unity and there's much more we can do. But it's, it's deep in our roots because you know, we believe that once you join the Jesus movement, once you become a follower of Christ, then you are joining a family, right? You have joined the family of God. And when we say that, what we mean is, man, once you sign up with Jesus, we're family. And we all know what we mean by that. It's, a, it's kind of, we have an ideal of what that means. That means no matter what happens, I've got your back, right? That means when you go through hard times, I'm going through hard times, that means, uh, you know, any way I can help you, you know, I give you the shirt off my back, uh, you know, I'll forgive you, you forgive me. Uh, it means family. But, that's, that's the ideal. But how many of our families actually live that way, right? We say we're like a family, and yet our own families outside of here are often disconnected. Relationships are broken. Uh, you know, it's hard to find much unity in our world today anywhere, right? Sports fans, I'm surprised some of you Tigers fans made it out today. But I guess like me, you decided to sing the song, I'm going on, <laughs> until the final battle. Anyway, uh, sorry, got sidetracked. Politics. I mean, you'll, uh, you'll tune in to, maybe you will, maybe you won't, maybe you're boycotting, right, today. Uh, or maybe you'll tune into sports, but wow, our nation is divided. There isn't much unity. And the same is true in our families. Brothers and sisters who won't speak with one another. Parents and children who won't speak with one another. You know, it's not all the fault of divorce and things like that, but certainly it makes it harder, right? When we get our families disconnected. and There's just a lot of things that happen in life on this earth to where unity is not normal. But we haven't been talking about doing what's normal on earth. We've been talking about trying to bring what's true in heaven, where God's will is done. Where his kingdom reigns fully. And, and seeing how we can bring that to bear on earth in some ways, big or small. And we've been saying that the place that we have the most influence, besides our individual lives, is in our families, in our homes. And whatever stage of life you're in, if you have children in particular that, that you have some kind of influence or relationship with, whether it's a, a niece or a grandchild or a, a child living at home or a child off at college or whatever the case may be, this series is especially geared towards you, but, but anyone can do something to bring heaven to bear on earth. And that's our goal, is to not do things the way that is normal for the earth, but to bring heaven, to reflect heaven to do you know, what Jesus taught us to pray, which is, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're trying to not only pray that, but put it into practice in any way we can. And so we've talked about some different ways that we do that. And today, just for a short little while, a shorter than usual sermon, we hope... Uh, on this Heritage Sunday where we spend a little more time singing, I wanted to just share a little bit with you about this idea of unity. 
Because unbreakable unity is so central to Jesus' vision for his kingdom. And we believe that's how it works in heaven. And so we want to bring that to bear in any way we can in our families. So let's just talk about this for a little bit. You know, we read from Ephesians. We read this passage. It says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit throughout the bond of peace. Through the bond of peace. Whenever you read in the New Testament a letter from an apostle or even in the Gospels, you're likely to come across this theme of loving one another, unity, peace, right? Peacemaking. Jesus talked about it all the time. His apostles talked about it all the time. One of the last prayers that Jesus prayed that we have recorded was Him praying for His disciples and then for those who would come after, believing in the eyewitness accounts of those apostles. That's us, friends. And he prayed for us that we might be one. Just as he and the Father are one. That we would be unified so that the world would know we are his. And ever since then, the church has been called to a very high standard of unity, right? That we believe that no matter who you are, once you're in Christ, we're family. We have the same Father. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Arab. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what your past was like. Once we're in Christ, we're one. And so this is what we've believed all along. And this is what you come across time and again in Scripture. And here is Paul writing from prison to the church in Ephesus having been locked up for his message isn't, aren't you relieved to know that uh, Rome would lock up people like this I mean you don't want people just walking around talking about unity and peace and gentleness and kindness and you know all those kinds of things humility that would be a shame might do something good for the empire so they lock those kind of guys up But in reality, humility was not considered a virtue back then. It was considered a weakness. And probably the reason he was locked up had more to do with the reason he was calling people to unity. Because he said, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all and to Romans who believed there were a whole bunch of gods and to Romans who believed that the emperor was number one that he was the only lord on earth to them this sounds not only like religious blasphemy they often called it atheism because they didn't believe in all the gods Not only did it sound like that to them, but it sounded like political rebellion to say there's only one Lord and that he's someone else than Caesar. So Paul was locked up, but he was still writing the church, talking about, if we want to reflect heaven on earth, 
We've got to be one because we belong to one Father, one Lord. We have one Spirit in us. We are one. So be unified. It's hard to do. Not many churches accomplish it. (laughs) We've been blessed here at Cypress Street. We have been. That even when we don't necessarily see eye to eye on something or a detail, we still love one another. We still encourage one another. We swallow our pride. We forgive. We move on. We're blessed. There's a lot of churches where that doesn't happen. And there's a lot of families where that doesn't happen. And some of us, we read that and we think about trying to have unbreakable unity in our family and we're like, you know, are you kidding me? If you've got two little kids at home, you know, you're just hoping they don't kill each other. Forget unity. (laughs) Or, you know, or if you've got a teenager at home, then uh, maybe you're thinking, I would settle for like one word that's not rude, (laughs) let alone unity. But, Notice that the Apostle Paul did not say, be perfect. He said, make every effort to keep unity. He knew that unity wouldn't always happen perfectly on earth as it should in heaven and as it does in heaven. But he said that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So our main point today just comes straight from Scripture. I want to challenge you in your families, in your homes, yes, in the church, make every effort to keep unity through peace, through peacemaking. Make every effort. This is not Paul giving you a a cop-out, like, well, you know, I've made every effort. That's just how it's going to be, I guess. Unless they're all dead, you haven't made every effort. Right? Make every effort means never give up. Make every effort means keep on trying for unity through peace. No matter what stage of life, no matter how long the grudge has been held, no longer how long it's been since you've talked, make every effort. And in some seasons... That may look like a lot of prayer, and in some seasons that may look like picking up the phone and leaving a message, even though they won't pick up your phone call. And in seasons, in our families and in our homes, it may look different still. So let's talk about what does it look like to make every effort to keep the unity through peace, practically speaking, in our homes. And, uh, you know, Paul gives us some good tools. He said... Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. If we do these things, we'll be making an effort, right? For unity in our homes and in the church. Let's talk about just some practical things that we can do to try and keep unity through peace in our homes especially. I'm just going to give you, you know, if you were up here, you might have a different list of things that you've found that help keep unity alive in your home or in your experiences. Uh, So this is kind of my list, but it falls into line with this whole humility, gentleness, patience, uh, bearing with one another in love, and has everything to do with 
making every effort to keep unity through peace. And the first thing I want to say is something I would call preventative. And it's called manners. Like, really, unusual manners. If you can build that into the fabric of your home and into the culture of your home, you will dodge a whole lot of disunity. (laughs) You'll have a lot more peace. Because you're trained and the family holds itself accountable to being respectful and kind to one another even when you're in a disagreement. So yeah, you know, their first words, you know, you may want their first words to be go Tigers, but try to go for thank you first and please first, right? Uh, Try to go for those kind of words. Teach, yeah, yes sir and no sir and, and Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And thank you. And please. And you know all those things. Excuse me. Bless you. Just those little words that we think aren't so important anymore. But my goodness, when it's in the fabric of your family, when you learn to do that and say excuse me when you bump into someone, even when you're kind of mad at them, right? And you just build this into, it's the expectation. It's what mom and dad do. It's what the kids do. Wow, that goes a long ways towards preventing things and keeping an environment of peace that leads to unity. And so that would be the number one practical tip I'd give you is go for it. And if you're in a stage where you're like, wow, you know, I, you've got a teenager that's not you know, polite at all. And, uh, and you're like, well, I don't, you know, you may not want to just start with like laying down the law and being like, from this moment on. I hear you not use your manners correctly it's going to be the end of your life uh, you might want to back up a little bit and, and, and start with you start with you if you are so extraordinary, extraordinarily polite toward them and towards others in your home pretty soon it's going to be awkward for them not to be I'm not saying you do it in a passive aggressive way in a genuine way and see what difference it makes see what difference it makes and remember that manners has more to do with tone than it does with the actual words you're using right there's more than one way to say all those words (laughs) and you can say it sarcastically or you can say it genuinely Not only be preventative, but you know, even if you had the best manners in the world, there'd still be stuff that would come up, right? That's life. There's still going to be disagreements. There's still going to be disunity that comes up uh, from outside the family, from inside the family. Just stuff that comes up. So what do we do in those situations? First, I'd say, learn to apologize. That's when you have to call on all those things Paul said. Humility. Patience. Love. Because it's not easy to swallow your pride and to say you're sorry, especially when you feel like it's just as much or more their fault. Right? But a genuine and sincere apology does a lot for making peace in the family that leads to unity make every effort to keep the unity in peace part of that effort is apologizing 
I think sometimes we think it's a sign of weakness if we apologize. Maybe so, if you were apologizing for all kinds of things that weren't your fault and you just all the time apologize, and I'm so sorry. That may be so. But, when you really need to apologize, to step up and do it, is a sign of strength, a sign of humility, which is not a weakness. In fact, it takes a lot of strength to swallow your pride, to use self-control, to apologize even when they haven't apologized. And sometimes, sometimes it's even harder to accept an apology, isn't it? That's another thing we've got to do if we want to keep unity and make every effort. And sometimes you have to forgive when someone apologizes, even when you don't want to. Sometimes you have to forgive even when the apology hasn't really been much of an apology. Peter, the apostle, famously asked Jesus once, how many times do I have to forgive my brother who sinned against me? I don't know if Andrew stole his fish that day, his brother. I don't know if they were in some kind of disagreement. It's like, enough is enough. I'm done with this guy. Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, eh, try 77. In other words, don't even bother to keep count. Just go on forgiving. Jesus said that not long before his death. And famously, Peter betrayed Jesus, ran out on him in his time of need after he said he'd stay by his side and go through anything he went through, denied even knowing him time and again. But after the resurrection, Jesus, first person he talked to out of the grave, tell my disciples and Peter, that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Make sure you tell Peter, because he may think he's out. He may think he's done. He may think that it's over, that he could never be forgiven for that, but tell him I want to meet him too. And famously, Jesus spoke with him and reinstated Peter, and it was a moment of forgiveness. Jesus not only taught Peter that you always forgive, but he showed Peter what that feels like. And he kept the unity. Jesus made every effort. If you want to know what it looks like to make every effort for unity, look no further than the cross. That old rugged cross. Look no further than that. That's what it looks like to make every effort keep the unity through peace. There's a way that brings heaven to earth. It's the Jesus way. So may our families and our church 
be characterized by the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for and died for, resurrected for, and calls us to even still today. I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to ask Dion to come as I pray and she's going to share in song with us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for reconciling us to you on the cross and giving us that ministry of reconciling others to you. Sometimes, God, our pride gets in the way of our peacemaking. Holy Spirit, teach us a better way. Teach us humility and gentleness, patience, and love, even when it's hard, so that our families and our church might be characterized by the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for and died for. Amen.